0: it's the health in the real world podcast it's time to start the show with chris jenky as your host here to give you everything that you need when it comes to fitness strategies we keep it simple and easy it's your roadmap to get healthy you don't need equipment and you don't need a gym
1: just the right strategies to get you fit and trim
0: The Health in the Real World podcast is sponsored by... I bet you could write your own diet book, right? I mean, the information is already out there and well-known. So why then are we all still so overweight? Check out my book, Help My Diet Sucks, and you will have a simple checklist, no diet dogma, and no crazy, crazy diets. Check it out on Amazon, Help My Diet Sucks. Hello and welcome to Health in the Real World. I'm Chris Jenke, joined today by Tim Wade. And as a master relationship coach, author, and speaker, Tim brings 25 plus years of experience in personal growth and transformation as he teaches men in the counterintuitive secrets that helped him become a strong, compassionate, and successful partner and father. Tim, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Good to see you. You too. Thanks for thanks for joining us today. So I, got, I gave a brief introduction, but help fill in some of the gaps, uh, what you do and even how you got started doing this.
1: Absolutely. Uh, well, I started out as a business coach about 10 years ago. Well, 12 years ago now. And I figured out really quickly that um, all business coaching is life coaching. Right. So it's always the business owner that needs the, the, the real coaching, not the mechanics of the business. And that's really where I learned to be a coach. And then what happened was in 2015, I had been married for 20, uh, 23 years. And my wife at the time said, I'm done. I need space. I want out. I want something different. I want, I don't know what I want, but I, you know, this isn't it. Right. Uh, it was, uh, I call it the divorce bomb because it really, I felt blindsided by it. I wasn't, didn't think that was what was going to happen. But we did um, have a very amicable divorce, very friendly. We're still very friendly as co-parents. But at that point, I went through a very dark night of the soul going through that divorce and didn't have really any support. And that's when I realized that men in particular are an underserved population when it comes to any sort of, of uh, psychological help or relationship help. Or Now, part of that is because that's who we are as men. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know if you remember the old Monty Python movie with the Black Knight, you know, we could be standing there and it's like, that's your arm laying on the ground. No, it's not. It's just a flesh wound. It's nothing. Right, it's right. Like... <laughs> you know, yes. it's- how, how much bleeding do you have to have to actually Google, you know, 911? Um, so that inspired me what I went through to reach out to other men and, and, and talk. First, just get them talking about the things they don't like to talk about, like emotions or relationships. Yeah. And that's how, really how hearted Men got started. The next thing you knew I was being uh, uh, flooded by guys who were in marriage crisis, relationship crisis. And it turned out that was really the, uh, the gateway or the wound, so to speak, that they uh, entered through. So because of that kind of stubbornness, uh, the pain had to be pretty significant for them to finally go, okay, I'll get help. Right. right. And it's not, you know, and I'm the, I'm the same way. It's, it's, it's not, uh, it's just the way we are as guys. Sometimes we we're one man, we're the one man band and we can fix it and we can do it. And, right. And so.
0: Yeah. And that's how, as men, a lot of times we get our personal value from what we can do, like the problems we can fix, right. We're fixers. Right. Exactly. And it's tough sometimes to say, you know, I have no clue. I I don't know how to how to fix this toilet. I don't you know. Okay, <laughs> yeah.
1: like I got well, awesome. I, I know how to fix the toilet. It's this other thing that I'm just It's right. this
0: relationship that no. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Um, Interesting. And you you just finished up with a retreat, right? A men's retreat?
1: I did. Um, I have a business partner that we do retreats together. Uh, We do three to four a year. This last one was here in Colorado at a a dude ranch. So we work with horses, actually, as a metaphor for relationship because... Horses are, have some similarities. I'm not saying women are horses, okay? but there's a similarity in that how intuitive horses are, how they right. read your energy, how they read, you know, whether you're confident or not and things like that. So we work with the men, not just riding, but on the ground with the horse. They, they go through a, a, a ritual almost of joining of the horse, joining up and finally going, okay, I trust you. I'll mm. follow you.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's interesting! I just started watching Yellowstone yesterday with Kevin oh. Costner. Have you, oh, you yeah. Watch
1: it? No, I haven't seen it yet. Everyone says you have to. Oh,
0: you you would you would love it. Uh, I, we just watched the first episode last night. It's phenomenal. There's a a horse that they that they end up breaking. Um, <laughs> very interesting tactic to do it. They they get the new guy and they duct tape his hand to the saddle and they, <laughs> they, oh they duct tape his feet and they just make him ride until the horse basically gives up. But um, so that's maybe not the best tactic, but Well,
1: yeah, I mean it's interesting you bring that up because um that was the way they did it back in the old west yeah. and there's really a new breed of, of of horse trainers that use a different technique. So we're not talking about, you know, a metaphor of breaking women or anything like that right, or saddling right. them. It's really about how to be strong and gentle at the same time.
0: Oh, I like that. Being So so how does a man be strong and gentle at the same time, especially since I think this is changing, but you know, our fathers, grandfathers, going all the way back, strength was was highly valued, but being gentle was yeah. maybe not as valued, right?
1: And still to this day, it's 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 not as easy, I think, for men to to know where where to be that without being spineless. Right. Because yeah. So,
0: how how do you be gentle without being spineless, and how do you be strong without being overbearing? Or right, right. There's that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And part of it has to do with one, one of the things I discovered when I was going on my own, you know, journey of uh, becoming solo, becoming single suddenly. is um, there were three questions. It all boiled down to three questions that to help a man probably helped anyone, but I, for me it really helped if I answered these questions at a deep level, I would really know who I was. I would really know what I stood for and what I wanted. So the three questions were and are, who am I? What do I want? And where am I going? Now you might think, well, how does that help you be strong and gentle? Um, If you know who you are, you don't have to push too harder than you have to. You don't have to wonder uh, what should, you know, what am I going to do in this situation? Because I don't know what my values are. And that's really what I mean when I say, who am I? You ask a man who, am, who he is, and usually he'll say, uh, I'm a plumber and I live in Chicago and, you know, and he gives you his credentials. But the real answer to the question is, what are your values? What are your virtues? What do you stand for no matter what? Uh, and you can be much more confident and relaxed when you know those things. And then those things inform what do you want? Now, again, you ask a man what he wants, and he says, uh, I, I want, uh, I, I, well, here's what I don't want. And then they <laughs> list all the things they don't want. Like, right. You know, and then, but they kind of hem and haw on that. What do I want? Maybe it's uh, more love, more affection. I don't know, more money. Yeah. But the, again, the question really is, what kind of experience of life do you want? Mm, yeah. And, and then how can you create that?
0: So and, when, you, when you talk to men about finding their values and their virtues, do you find that most men are able to articulate that? Or, or are, are they still having an issue with, with trying to figure that
1: out? At first, they're you know, scratching their heads. That's why with help, you know, uh, they are able to see that they have a lot of values. They just didn't ever write them down or, or yeah. uh, get them clear. Uh, we also, uh, in, in the coaching that I do at the retreats and one-on-one, we talk about uh, non-negotiables, that there are certain bottom line things that are just, they're not going, you're not going to cross that boundary. Right. And these, these are rules for you, not for other people. Okay. It's how you expect yourself to show up in the world. And believe it or not, when men really sit down and think about it, kindness, generosity, love, those are way at the top of the list. Yeah. You know, it's not power and prestige. those I've never seen that once on the list. Right. It's family and love and kindness and connection and confidence. Yeah. Confidence for sure. So how do you, how are you strong and gentle? It's because you know that you have a value of that you can be gentle and it doesn't mean you're spineless. Right. And there are times when you need to be solid. Yeah.
0: Yeah. There's a, uh, there's a parenting philosophy that my, my mom was a preschool teacher for 35 years and uh-huh. she really introduced me to this parenting philosophy about being fair and firm. So, I think in in, in just very gross overgeneralization in the past, it was, uh, I think most parents erred on the side of firmness, but being too stern and maybe too, you know, cracking the whip and not Mm -hmm. having that kindness and that softness. And now I feel like our culture has gone all the way to the other side. And, you know, you see the helicopter parents Mm -hmm. who don't want their kids to even fall on the playground. And it's like, everything is so soft and, uh, it's, it's like over loving, right. But they're right, everyone
1: gets a trophy,
0: <laughs> everyone gets a trophy, but they're not, there's not a line in the sand that like, no, this is what I expect of you as your behavior. Um, but being fair and firm, it's a very hard line and it depends on the kid. Yeah, I have four kids and they're all so mm. different. Uh, so it's about following what you expect of them and what you expect of yourself. Like you're saying, but doing it in a kind way that's not overbearing, and you know you're being a jerk about it, right?
1: Right. It's- no, that's so absolutely true. And and I found more and more that there is a middle path, as they call it in Buddhism, yes. for everything, and that really it's about uh, it, it, with the horses, for example, we learn something called pressure and release, and that horses respond to pressure. Uh, they're very, very, very sensitive to it. And mm-hmm. so it just only takes a little bit, a little bit of energy to get them to like move over or turn or whatever. And you learn quickly how often in situations other than horses, we, we're pushing too hard with kids, mm-hmm. for example. You, you, you don't have to keep telling them and telling them because what happens is they start ignoring you and then you keep telling them and then they ignore you. And so... Uh, it, it has applied to a lot of areas in life, and I have two teenagers, um, and, and it has been an amazing journey to learn how to be fair and firm, like you said. How, so, and in the long run, they like knowing where the boundary is. Yeah. When I say like, they may roll their eyes and complain about it. Right. But right. A, a kid with no boundaries uh, gets very uh, scared and angry. Actually.
0: Yeah. yeah and that's the reason why as teenagers we we do kind of act out right is that we're mm-hmm. looking for the line like what yep. can i definitely not cross and um and yeah a, a kid with no boundaries whatsoever is very lost and does not feel safe because exactly. there's nothing there's no parameters guiding my behavior and no expectations but then on the other hand, if you have too many parameters and you're, you know, you're running like a, a Nazi detention camp in your house, it's like, yeah. that's way, you know what I mean? Like, there's That's like, just
1: asking yeah. them to rebel at that point. Uh, right. You yes. know? Uh, right. Please sneak out in the middle of the night. If, exactly. Uh, but I always think of myself as guardrails, kind of. And as they get older, the guardrails, you know, get w- uh, wider. Right. But right. I make sure they don't fall off either side of the, the road, the cliff, but in the road. They get choice, you know, and the older they get age appropriate, they get to make choices. And yeah uh, I think the hardest thing um, is to let your children struggle. Mm, yeah. And safe struggle is actually mandatory in growing up. Now, it's got to be safe, right? Right. You, you, age appropriately safe. But you said helicopter parents, they don't, it's not just the, <laughs> the helicoptering, it's the search and rescue part too, right? Yeah. Swooping in and doing it for them, or like you said, make sure they never fall down, make sure they never make a mistake. Yeah. Um, it's very hard to differentiate them. Yeah. And, and then you're 35 years old living in your parents' basement.
0: Right. Because you don't have the skills. Yeah. You know, um, self esteem comes from two different things. And I think we are hitting it. And I say we as like general culture, like one for self esteem is just feeling good about yourself. Like, Somebody loves me. My mom and dad say nice things about me, you know, things like that. And the other half of it, though, is aptitude Mm -hmm. is, you know, if 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 I don't know how to work Zoom and I'm on a call with you and I don't feel confident in my abilities. Right. So that's the other half of self-esteem. But you're right. If if let's say I'm watching little Johnny play on the playground and little Johnny falls and I run over and I pick him up for him. Uh, that's not teaching little Johnny anything, right? So right. I, think, I think you and I, it sounds like we agree. So anybody listening who is not quite sure about this, it'd be like, again, age appropriate. Let's say you have a five-year-old, you know, um, letting them fail in a safe way is like letting them play on the five-year-old playground and falling, scraping their knee, doing all that, yet not allowing them to run to the street, right? It's like, yeah. that's, that's not... We don't want to go that far. Um, But yeah, letting them fall, letting them get hurt, letting them have that disappointment and then flexing their disappointment muscles and learning that, hey, I can bounce back from this. I'm resilient, right?
1: Absolutely. In fact, I think that distress tolerance is something that a lot of kids aren't learning these days. Mm. Um, They they go directly to some escape, uh, whether it's their phone or TV, video game, whatever it is. Instead of uh, th- being able to sit with something like an uncomfortable emotion, perhaps, right. and realize, oh, well, that passes, that changes, and I don't have to immediately, you know. And, and then, of course, if it gets worse and worse, then it becomes drug addiction and, and uh, alcohol and all that as a way of not being able to tolerate either frustration or, dis- or, or distress or uh, a challenging emotion.
0: Yeah. And it's interesting you said that, because that's what I was going to say as you were talking is that that's the foundation for addiction is the inability to just sit with your emotions. And so you're reaching for drugs, alcohol, sex, food to numb a feeling. Right. And 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 that resiliency is really what we want to help create. It's like it's like doing a workout like it. You know, you have to start slow and then systematically progress. Right.
1: And, and also, I believe that there are a lot of men and, you know, I'm, obviously I work with men. I am a man, it turns out. Uh, <laughs> and so I'm not, I am pro, uh, first of all, I'm pro-marriage, I'm pro-relationships, I'm pro-women and, and men. Yeah, so sure. I'm not coming down on them. But I know that uh, we were taught, a lot of us, that anger was the appropriate emotion almost for everything, yeah. Um, I used to joke. I, I thought I would say I had two, I have two emotions. Both of them are anger and, <laughs> and, right, exactly. and it, anger can be a way of not dealing with something more uncomfortable, like sure. sorrow or hurt or mm-hmm. sadness, things like that's underneath the, the anger, and you know, the anger being a secondary emotion that covers a lot of times right. as a defense. And one of the things um, that, my clients learn is how to be with their emotions yeah. without going to the, 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 the knee-jerk reaction and how to respond appropriately, uh, no matter what they're feeling, yeah. which goes back to, well, how do you, how do you decide what, how to respond? Well, you go back to your values. If I value nonviolence or I value um, you know, kindness, then that becomes my touchstone even if I'm feeling something else. Sure, right. I mean, they uh, Victor Frankl, who wrote a book called Man's Search for Meaning, you may be uh, you're familiar with it. Yep, yeah, yep. and he's, he's been credited with this quote, and I'm not sure if that's true, but it doesn't matter because it's a great quote. Yeah. He said, between stimulus and response, there is a pause or a space. And, and in that space, you have the freedom to make a different choice, not just the reaction. Not, and, and so being able to step into that gap in between the stimulus, which might be anything, a teenager saying, "I hate you, you're the worst parent in the world or uh, you know, having a disappointing uh, you know uh, thing in business or having your wife tell you, uh, "I need space, I love you, but I'm not in love with you anymore." All of those are like things you might react to, right. But if you stop, and I always say, breathe, breathing's good, turns out. Yep. In fact, specifically breathing through your nose, it turns out calms your uh, amygdala and your nervous system. Then you can make a different choice because you're starting to come back to, to regulation. And then you think, well, how do I want to deal with this? What do I, how do I want to respond? And I, know, I don't know about you, but when I was younger, uh, I had no idea about this, I, I, just, I was a reaction machine. Yeah. You know?
0: Well, I think, I think a lot of adults still are, um, and, but that's something that I, I try to teach my kids, like even around language, like they say, you made me mad. I am very clear to mm-hmm. say, let's break this down. Actually, I didn't make you mad because you're giving me all your power. I did something. You witnessed it. You had a bunch of emotions in your head, thoughts, everything, and you got mad. So you can you can break that down. Like I don't have to change for you to not be mad anymore if that's what you decide. Right. Or use your anger in a way that, you know, forces you to ask the tough questions. Well, why am I mad? What is it about my dad's behavior that, that sent me into anger? Right. Right. And I think having those tools, you know, a lot of adults, like I said, don't have this. So they're not teaching their kids this obviously, but what would you tell an adult who is finally realizing that, Hey, you know, like you said, I'm 35 years old. I've been sheltered from experiencing my emotions. My parents maybe bubble wrapped me and didn't allow me to feel pain. And, and, and I go, you know, right to anger. Like what's, how do we like unwrap that a little bit? What's the first thing we want to tell those guys? I think the
1: first thing I would say in unpacking that is the idea that you are not your emotions and you are not your thoughts. And that's kind of like, what, what do you, what do you mean? And I look at it like this. Um, if you stop, you're having an emotion or having a thought and you say to yourself, Hmm, I'm having the thought that uh, my teenager is a monster. Right. I'm ha- Instead of saying, just having that thought, my teenager is a monster. And in psychology, they call this diffusion, which is basically you're unfusing your identity or yourself with your thoughts. Because if you can watch yourself think, you can say, I'm having a thought that, well, who's doing the watching? That's the observer. That's the observer mind, the part of you that can watch yourself think or observe your emotions. And and it's the same thing, kind of what you're saying to your child, um, not just the, you didn't, the making, you know, who made who what, do what, but also just I'm having an uh, uh, emotion of anger. I'm having some anger. I'm feeling some anger. Not I am angry. Right. Now you're identifying. Right. And when you do that, it sounds like a word game. I mean, it sounds like, well, come on, is that going to really do anything? But it's the first step towards being able to have self-mastery yeah. and being able to deal with your emotions. And then the second step, because emotions, I believe always come with urges that like their emotion, they, they, they urge you to do something is that if you can just sit with it, with the emotion and don't do anything with it, you don't have to act it out. You don't have to stuff it down. You just acknowledge it. Oh, wow. I'm, I'm feeling angry. Yeah. Um, Jill Bolte Taylor, who did a great TED talk on how she uh, called uh, my stroke of, of, of no, what was it my stroke of brilliance, I think. Mm-hmm. And basically uh, she talked about, she's a neuroscientist and she said, the chemical cocktail that causes emotions, you know, emotions are triggered and, and, and it's these hormones and things that go off in your head. That reaction, chain reaction lasts about 90 seconds. Hmm. That's it. Now, you might say, well, wait a minute, I've been angry for longer than 90 seconds before, or I've been sad or whatever. It's like, yes, but that's because you re-up the little, the little reaction with another thought. Right. Because thoughts have, and emotions, you know, have a relationship to each other. And um, if you're having an emotion, a very strong emotion, the first thing is, good, is think, well, what am I thinking? What mm-hmm. story am I t- telling myself? What interpretation and all of that. But if you sit with the emotion it will shift on its own a lot of times. Wow. And yeah, I was blown away when I heard that. And, and so that's it's,
0: becoming, becoming the watcher. So, so like after you pull yourself out of identifying I am angry and pull yourself out and say, oh, my body is experiencing anger. It's, it's not feeling good. It's uncomfortable feeling and sort of watch it. That life is only about 90
1: seconds. Yeah, that's about uh, it. And if and during that time, if you can just breathe and and be okay with it, like way back, you know, in the early days of psychology, they had you know they would say to you, good emotions and bad emotions, right. and things like that. And I, the current thought is that there are difficult emotions; they make you uncomfortable, and and there are ones that make you feel good. But all emotions are normal. Yes, it's really what you do with them that can be useful or harmful so you know you have three choices you can act them out we all know what that looks like when you know with anger you know punch someone or you know hit the dog uh mm-hmm. you, you can stuff them down which is uh the thing that women were taught a lot mm-hmm. to not feel their emotions especially anger so you yeah. stuff it down no it's bad i don't i push it away i put it in the cellar
0: and so when you stuff it down, it also lasts longer than 90 seconds. I mean, it can last nine decades, right?
1: Yeah. At that yeah. point, it doesn't go away. It just festers, like yeah. you know, in the yeah. sewer. And then the third thing, the, 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 the middle option is just be with it. Don't judge it. Don't say, I'm so wrong for feeling this anger. I love that you said, I'm feeling this in my body. Because mm. that's actually where emotions live right. in your nervous system. Which is not in your head, actually. It's in your body. Yeah. And so if you can tell, oh, I'm starting to get angry because I know the body sensation that I feel, yes. then you can get out ahead of that reaction that you might have and slow it down and go, oh, hold on, folks. Maybe I should take a deep breath uh, and not react immediately, see what. What's a, what is a better choice?
0: Yeah. And at that point, you're really breaking it down and you're really breaking it into its parts. Like my body is feeling this way and you're really disassociating with that identification. Yeah. Which is a, a great way. I mean, it just slows all that momentum. It's just like you said, 90 seconds. Whew that was uncomfortable. Move on with my day. Right. 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 Or,
1: yeah. or you know, deal with whatever the crisis is or whatever's going on. Right. It's almost like a runaway train. And it, for most people, you know, the, the the motion train starts and just takes off and you end up going over the cliff, uh, like in Back to the Future. And oh, <laughs> I love that movie. Yes. <laughs> and you're laying at the bottom of the gulch, going, what happened? Exactly. Um, yeah. And the, the trick is, or the practice is to get that to go into like bullet time, you know, to slow down because there's a siding, there's a switch, you know, right. and you can get the train to, to take that siding and slow down. But at first you might see it go by like, well, that, that was the siding right there. That right. <laughs> right? right, And yes, I'm still yes. at the bottom, <laughs> bottom of the gulch. And eventually you go, here it comes, here it comes. Why? Because... Bring it back to the body. Oh, I'm feeling that tightness in my neck. I'm feeling my shoulders. I'm getting, uh, you know, blood pumping in my head that feels like fire. Yeah, whatever it is, and you go, ah, I'm I'm getting triggered. Right. Okay, I have a choice now, and and I could actually slow this train down, stop it, and then you can apply all sorts of skills, relationship skills like listening, you know, and things like that. And not be reactionary, which um, a lot of relationships suffer because the peop- both people are just reacting to each other. Yeah.
0: Yeah, they're, they're uh, interpreting their feelings as truth. Mm-hmm. And this is, this is the truth. And, I, and you're the one that caused the feeling. And boom, I'm going to lash back at you. And then it's that whole one-upsmanship. And then, yes, yeah, you got a long-term fight on your hands.
1: Absolutely. So,
0: Well, Tim, uh, this has been great. Uh, Again, this is Tim uh, Wade from Lionhearted Men Coaching. Tim, how do people get in touch with you if they want to work with you, if they want to check out your retreats?
1: Absolutely. You can go to www.lionhearted.men. So there's no com in there. It's actually the .men extension, which is pretty cool. There's a
0: .men? That's awesome. There is a
1: .men. Uh, and so yes lionhearted.men um if you're really in like uh, dire straits with a, a for example an impending divorce or separation i also have an on, online course called how to defuse the divorce bomb that's how to the, the divorce um, so if you're in you know in a hurry so to speak a lot of guys have their hair on fire uh, Right. you can also go there and check that out
0: very awesome. This, is, this has been great information. Tim, thank you so much for joining us today. Again, this is Health in the Real World. I'm Chris Jenke, joined today by Tim Wade. Tim, thanks again for joining.
1: Thank you, Chris.